0: I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. Now let's get things started with the Jack Riccardi Show.
1: So this, uh, we haven't really talked a lot about it on the show, but this uh, submersible Mm -hmm. is really down to its, I guess, final hours of oxygen, right? Yeah,
0: and I don't have an exact count. Uh, Yesterday they were talking about roughly 40 hours. 40, yeah. Today, I, I feel pretty confident right now saying that they are within 24 hours for sure. Yeah. And yeah. we could be 12 to 15 hours. I uh, yeah. heard some noises. I'm not getting any clarification or confirmation on what that is. If they're hearing right. people, uh, they've got to go a long way down to find mm-hmm. this. And uh, yeah. we're watching this literally by the minute. So,
1: uh, One of the guys that uh, works on The Simpsons is talking about on his blog that he, he looked into taking this trip. Because this is a very, very um, exclusive Deal. Yeah. Uh, and it costs six figures to, uh-huh. to go down to this thing. And he said the word death is mentioned three times on the first page of the waiver, which is multiple pages. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, it's very real. All right. So, we're going to talk about that and a bunch of things here. And good afternoon and welcome to our uh, dreadful little show. And um, Christian will break in and let us know if we get any. Updates on the submersible, uh, The uh, it's not a submarine, it's a submersible, I was corrected on that yesterday. Um, I want to say, and I'm going to be very clear about this, let the record show, mark the tape done. I, I hope and pray that they get all of these people and rescue them and that they're okay. I devoutly hope these are human beings. I hope they get them out. Um, but I have to say, every time I hear a news broadcast, refer to them as explorers I get a little cringe because we're not exploring the Titanic. These are people that are paying to go down and look at it. We know where it is. We found it years ago. And the the risks that were taken in the name of science and exploration and, and, and nailing this thing down, that's one thing. But I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. The people that are going on these voyages, but with this company called Oceangate, and the whole world is watching to see if this uh, submersible can be rescued in time for the people on board. I think there's five people on board. Um, They're tourists. They're going to look at something for their own interest, entertainment. Um, So I, I, I think that's important. You know, words have meaning. And it's one thing if you are exploring outer space. It's one thing if you're an Apollo astronaut going to the moon. It's one thing if you are, you know, going where no man has gone before and we're gaining scientific uh, knowledge. Uh, But these were people that paid a lot of money and signed waivers where they were acknowledging uh, how risky this is. And apparently, it's very risky because apparently this submersible is kind of a cobbled together thing. I, I, I guess in my mind, I, I before I read about it, I thought it was sort of a sleek piece of technology. But it actually, it, it's kind of a jury-rigged thing that that escapes a lot of maritime regulation because the maritime laws of the relevant nations don't even recognize it as an ocean-going vessel, and so it's um, it's kind of a unique piece of of uh, work. Uh, and to get on it, you have to pay. I think it's like two hundred thousand dollars, and you have to sign a waiver that that uh, accepts all of these uh, risks, and they are numerous. And then there was an interview with the CEO of this company, OceanGate, that I want to just call your attention to. I thought this was interesting. He did an interview um, about how his company doesn't hire quote fifty year old white guys unquote, because they are not, quote, inspirational. Um, He says, when you look at other businesses out there, they'll typically have ex-military submariners, and you'll see a whole, this is a quote I'm reading, and you'll see a whole bunch of 50-year-old white guys. I wanted our team to be younger, to be inspirational, and I'm not going to inspire a 16-year-old to go pursue marine technology but a 25-year-old who's a sub-pilot or platform operator can be inspirational. So we've really tried to get very intelligent, motivated, younger individuals involved because we're doing things we do for risk assessment. So he, he, um, he makes this statement, which I, I, I think is, is quite arrogant, that experience is kind of boring. But as a number of people are pointing out today, now we need the experienced people. Now the 50-year-old white guy is suddenly in great demand to figure out how to find them and rescue them. And that's the thing about this kind of thinking. It's great until the chips are down, right? It's great until... Lives are on the line, it's great, you know, it's great until the plan falls apart, it's great until you need the experienced people. And I'm not saying, again, I want these people rescued. I'm not saying they deserve to die or they deserve to be in the plate they're in. I'm not saying any of that. But young and inspirational is also a lot cheaper than fifty years old and experienced. And I I hope this isn't the case, but I wonder if we're going to find out that this was more risky, more dangerous than it actually needed to be. And again, they didn't need to be there or, or they weren't doing exploration or breaking new ground or making a discovery about the Titanic. My understanding of this is it's a tour and you observe it close, I mean, it must be fascinating, I'm not putting it down, but it, it's, it's tourism. It's not exploration. 210-599-5555. I wanna play this for you, and we're gonna to talk to um, Ira Melman from Federation for American Immigration Reform uh, about this clip. This, this clip was on the Twitter feed of Citizens Free Press. I, I don't actually know who this lady is. But this is an explanation of what's going on with the southern border. And just to back up for a second, the, the news you're getting in the last few days about the southern border is, uh, hey, interceptions are down, the calamity of Title 42 didn't happen, and the numbers are getting better. So Citizens Free Press put this out to explain what's going on. Cut number five.
2: This is the big immigration number Biden is hiding from you. So the same number of illegal and inadmissible aliens are still entering the U.S. The Biden administration is just diverting over 60,000 per month to a different line. So the inadmissible aliens are following directions. They're going through the ports of entry, and that's why we now see 90,000 inadmissible aliens entering the U.S. through the ports of entry, where we used to see only 20,000 a month. They are literally telling migrants who are about to cross illegally between the ports and claim fear, withdraw your claim, don't cross here, go to a port of entry, use this Mobile One application, and we'll let you in. The Biden administration is doing this because no one looks at the port numbers nationwide. Usually, people just look at the Border Patrol numbers. If the Border Patrol encounter numbers are better, that makes the Biden administration look better. But really, it's just lipstick on a pig.
1: So they're saying there's several thousand people who would be showing up in the old numbers, being sent through the the gate, if you will, where they're not counted as intercepts or asylum seekers, and those numbers are not really paid attention to at all. They're coming through with that app, but they would have been counted under the previous accounting as asylum seekers or intercepts, and it's a shell game. And the numbers are not better. The numbers have just been... Moved around and so I want to ask Ira Melman from Fair, who I think knows as much about this as anybody we 've ever had on the show, uh, if that 's true and and that of course would not be a surprise i 'm also kind of curious about the story, and i 've seen it now in a number of places that they keep finding more and more like exponentially more uh, young Chinese men coming across the border and it 's hard not to think about that in terms of why they would be coming through there. Um, people will say, "Well, it's because things are so bad in China. Uh, they figured out that it's easier to come across there than it is to come through." Like traditionally, Chinese immigrants would have come through places like L.A. and San Francisco, uh, but but this now they know to come here. Uh, so what, one explanation is, "Oh, this is just the same number of people that have always come from China and they're escaping communism and stuff like that." Okay. But then I think about, okay, they're all young men. And then we have this ancillary story sitting over here uh, looking at us about a Chinese base in Cuba. And I, I, you know, maybe I'm drawing too many red lines or connecting too many dots or whatever. But that seems sort of like maybe it should be looked into, like maybe those two things go together. And then, okay, Jack, what is it you're alleging? I don't even know. I don't even know. So This is so crazy to think about that I don't even want to say out loud speculation that that I, I can't back up. It's one thing to have a unmanageable, ungovernable, unmeasured volume of people coming into the country. That's one thing, and that's bad enough. To lose control of your southern border, to intentionally signal to people, now's the time, come across, and not stop them is one thing. To move them around the country, and hide them, and, and relocate them without even notifying local communities is one thing. And we've talked about all of this before. But what I'm saying now, this is, this is something very different. And we've never, we've never been here before. And we're going to talk to Ira Millman about that, too. So what do you think about John Durham at this point? John Durham has been called to testify before Congress. It's the House Judiciary Committee where he was this morning. You feel like John Durham did what you expected John Durham to do? Did John Durham do his job? John Durham, of course, was the special counsel who looked into the conduct of the FBI and other agencies in opening the crossfire hurricane investigation into Donald Trump and the Trump campaign. Uh, there were some interesting moments this morning. I want to play a couple of them for you. He, he basically says that the CIA and the FBI knew that they were dealing with Hillary Clinton approved and obtained information to smear uh, Donald Trump to uh, sabotage his campaign, and then when that failed, to undermine his new administration. He said the FBI was willing to accept and use politically funded and uncorroborated opposition research. The FBI relied on the dossier and, and FISA applications, knowing there was likely material originating from a political campaign or opponent in it. Here's more of what he said about that, cut number one. So then, was there adequate predication for the FBI to open
3: Crossfire Hurricane as a full investigation? On July 31st, in my view, based on our investigation, there was not a legitimate basis to open as a full um, investigation. Um, An assessment is something that had to be looked at, gather information, such as interviewing the people who provided um, the uh, Papadopoulos information, checking their own databases, the databases of other intelligence agencies and the standard kinds of things that you would do in an investigation like this.
1: He also said that members of the FBI, agents of the FBI, when they realized how their supervisors had misused the Steele dossier, um, and, and while he was investigating this, so his investigation went from like 2019 to 2021, I think, um, he says that that when this stuff started to come out, agents would come up to him and apologize for the Trump investigation. Cut number four.
3: Could you unpack a little bit more what that means. Why do you say sobering? Well, let me let me um, give you some real life um, views on that. I have had um, any number of FBI agents um, who I've worked with over the years. Some of them retired. Some are still in place who have come to me and apologized for the manner in which uh, that investigation was undertaken. I take that seriously. These are good, hardworking, the majority of people in the FBI.
1: All right, so um, did he do his job, in your opinion? That's today's JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Do you believe John Durham uh, did his job? He did say in his testimony, uh, in response to a question, that he never saw evidence of and has no knowledge of any collusion. Jack Riccardi live right now on San Antonio's news talk station, 550 and 1071 KTSA. Uh, you can join the show anytime at 210-599-5555. Did John Durham do his job? Well, in, in in I guess, the narrowest sense, yeah, he did his job. They said, look into this, this, and this, and he looked into this, this, and this. But he didn't do his job in terms of what we Expect, because you know that Jim Comey knew that the entire inception of the investigation into Trump was a Hillary Clinton campaign dirty trick. And by the way, Hillary is a hands-on candidate. It's not like somebody did this and she had no idea. What? Me? What? No. She was pulling these strings. So Jim Comey knew what he was using, to initiate the work of these agents and investigators and unleash this chain of events. If Jim Comey knew about it, then I'm going to assume that Barack Obama, Joe Biden, others in the Obama administration also knew about it. So the thing you and I expected, or maybe didn't even expect but would have felt was the Measure of success for the Durham investigation I mean let 's face it, this is what you were hoping you would hear one day, right? Comey would be charged, he withheld evidence he He knew one thing and he did another. So why didn't Durham charge him, and did Durham not charge him because he knew he couldn't win a conviction on it and 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 I'm not saying this out of school prosecutors will tell you, and they've admitted on this show and other cases, that the likelihood of winning a case plays a big part in determining whether or not you bring a case. So Durham, I'm I'm surmising, didn't charge Comey because it would be a long shot that you'd get a conviction of Comey. But if you're not going to charge the guy that knew, then what is the point of investigating it? Did Jim Durham do an investigation just to make the Republican members of Congress happy? Like, here you are. Here's what you wanted. I'm here today to say what you wanted me to say. You already know it. You already suspected. Yep, you were right. Yep, you guys got got you know cheated and 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 played. Is that what this was for? I mean, I mean, if that's what, if that's all this was ever going to be, then I guess he did his job. But I don't think he did the job. Most people who care about this expected him to do and if if you don't pay a price if you don't see heads rolling and i know he did bring some charges to some lower level people but if you if if the if the net effect of this is that everyone gets everyone big gets away with it then i don't really see how this doesn't happen again how, how do we know there isn't a, you know, a DeSantis dossier or something right now? I mean, what what did he accomplish? What do you think? Two ten five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. That's our question on today's River City Oral Surgery Jr. poll. We'll talk some more about the sub and the border. In fact, Ira Melman from Fair is going to join us uh, to talk about that. So, Citizens Free Press, uh, tweeted this out, and I want to play this for you quickly, and then we're going to talk to Ira Melman from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Cut number five.
2: This is the big immigration number Biden is hiding from you. So the same number of illegal and inadmissible aliens are still entering the U.S. The Biden administration is just diverting over 60,000 per month to a different line. So the inadmissible aliens are following directions. They're going through the ports of entry. And that's why we now see 90,000 inadmissible aliens entering the U.S. through the ports of entry, where we used to see only 20,000 a month. They are literally telling migrants who are about to cross illegally between the ports and claim fear, withdraw your claim, don't cross here, go to a port of entry, use this mobile one application and we'll let you in. The Biden administration is doing this because no one looks at the port numbers nationwide. Usually people just look at the border patrol numbers. If the border patrol encounter numbers are better, that makes the Biden administration look better. But really it's just lipstick on a pig.
1: As I mentioned, Ira Melmans, the media director of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. He joins us on the ktsa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Ira, is that a fair um, analysis of of what's going on with the numbers?
4: Absolutely. It is lipstick on a pig. The administration is simply moving uh, people off one set of books and moving them on to another set of books. The number of people coming into the country illegally is just where it was uh, a month ago. Uh, this month, they recorded 273,000 people who were encountered coming across the border. Uh, last month, 275,000. The only difference is that rather than being encountered by the Border Patrol, they've been encountered by various other agencies. And as you know, the woman in that video pointed out, uh, all people look at as the Border Patrol encounters. So this is sort of like you know, the highway patrol raising the, raising the speed limit to 200 miles an hour and then taking credit for people not speeding anymore. Uh, they're simply creating new avenues for people to come into the country. Uh, these are it, it, patently illegal. The administration does not have the authority to do it, but they're doing it anyway. Uh, they've never let anything like that stop them, and it's not stopping them now.
1: Who, who could stop them?
4: Well, you know, that's a good question. The courts have uh, stepped in repeatedly and ordered them to stop doing the sorts of things that they're doing. Uh, They make some cosmetic changes uh, that basically defy these court orders and continue doing it. I I guess the only thing that can change it is is the voters themselves if they decide they had enough uh, of what's going on. Uh, But right now the administration is dead set on bringing people in. They just want to eliminate the bad optics it doesn't look good having people coming across the border illegally uh, coming across the rio grande illegally instead what they're doing is they're routing them through ports of entry they're creating illegal parole schemes to fly people in from various countries around the world we don't notice the people landing at the airports we don't notice the people coming through the legal ports of entry uh, along the southern border it's the people coming across the border between ports of entry they get the attention uh, mm-hmm. so what they're doing is simply moving it to where people aren't paying attention
1: so they're they're actually teaching the illegal immigrant how to better game our system
4: exactly uh you know she mentioned the phone app uh, the customs and border patrol agency border protection agency uh created this app they say if you use it Uh, You know, you schedule an appointment at port of entry. If you have, uh, you know, any claim for uh, any claim of credible fear in your home country and the bar is incredibly low, they will let you in. You can be here for a decade until your uh, court date comes up which case you're never going to be removed anyway, whether your claim is approved or not approved, you're going to be here forever. Uh, So that's the sort of thing they're saying that, you know, if you come across the border illegally, we'll send you back. But if you Mm. go and use the app, we'll let you in. And so, Mm. you know, we have seen a shift from Border Patrol encounters to the Office of Field Operations. Those are the people who handle the phone app. Uh, and then you have the people coming in. the administration is uh bringing in tens of thousands of people on parole from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela uh and, and they 're going to try to increase that so they 're doing all sorts of different things uh to make it appear that you know fewer people are coming across the border illegally because and, and it 's precisely because they 're just letting them in
1: yeah. uh you know I am really old ira i I am so old I remember you 're going to remember this too when the debate used to be about private non-government non-profit groups that would do things like counsel illegal immigrants about crossing or put water state remember the whole debate about water stations is that mm-hmm. is that kind or is that cruelty that that seems like a very long time ago if the government is now teaching people hey here's how to cheat and come into the country and, and, and you won't turn up in the numbers. We won't have to stop you, which we don't want to do anyway. Here's our guidance on how to do it. Is there any other country in the world that would teach people how to sneak in?
4: I, I can't imagine there there is. And, and by the way, the, you know, the government is now kind of farming out these responsibilities to many of these same NGOs. You know, they are giving them mm-hmm. money uh, mm-hmm. to help people come into the country. So, uh, you know, they, they become part of the... Um, mechanism by which people get into the United States the government is working in -in hand-in-hand with these NGOs uh, in order to undermine our own laws
1: now when um, people talk about the ramifications of this wave of people like uh, what it's going to do to future elections uh, or um, or the labor force you know cheap labor um, is there evidence, do you know of or have you seen evidence in the way that the federal government is locating these people? Because, you know, they're, they're moving them around and they're placing them in places. By the way, exponentially more than like Greg Abbott is, obviously. That, that's, that's, that gets the headlines. But, but we know the federal government is dropping these people off all over the place. Is there evidence that there is something systematic or strategic about where they're putting people?
4: Well, you know, they're sending people wherever they want to go. Uh, and by the way, Governor Abbott is also only sending people where they agree to go to. Uh, the, you know, and, and you're hearing from people like Mayor Adams in New York City. You know, we we can't handle it anymore. There is no city or jurisdiction in the country that can handle the volume that's being sent their way. And the government, the federal government, uh, has lost track of lots of them. You know, most shockingly, they have lost track of tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors. Uh, You know, there's a story that needs to get out more. Uh, You have the cartels bringing unaccompanied minors to the United States and then serving as on this side of the border. Their operatives are serving as sponsors of these kids. These kids are being put to work in dangerous jobs all across the United States. You know, we have child labor. Uh, in this country again, largely because of what is going on at the border. You have the cartels that expect to get paid. These kids are here working off the debts they owe to them. Uh, It's a disgrace, and it needs to
1: stop. So there isn't just a political um, motive. There's also a profit motive. I mean, there's also a, uh, you know, where do we want the cheap labor? And I, I can't help but think they're not just turning up randomly here and randomly there, but that there's some hidden hand Uh, putting them where they can be exploited by the people that want to exploit them?
4: Well, part of it is, you know, it's not just the kids that have to pay off debts to the cartels. It is, you know, adults as well. So they have to go and work it off, and the cartels kind of dictate where they're going to go. Uh, And and then you have, you know, the various uh, non-governmental organizations that place people around the country. But wherever they wind up, somebody has to take care of them because they don't have the wherewithal to stand on their own two feet right now. Uh, and so it's local taxpayers that do it. It's you know money fed uh, funneled through the NGOs from the federal government. Uh, it, it is just overwhelming people and jurisdictions all across the country, and the administration chose no inclination to stop it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ira Melman from Federation for American Immigration Reform. Their website is fairus.org, fairus.org. Ira, thank you for the time. Always appreciate it.
4: My pleasure.
1: Thank you. There's a rapper named Kodak Black who was sentenced to three years in prison and did the time uh, for illegal possession of a firearm and specifically lying about drug use uh, on, uh, in obtaining a gun. There's a woman named Deja Taylor in Virginia. She's a single mother. She's black as well. Um, she is facing two years in prison for lying about her drug use when she purchased a firearm. She's the mother of the kid that took the gun to school and shot the teacher. Do you remember that in Newport News, Virginia? Yeah. So Kodak Black and Deja Taylor are black people, not famous people and not people named Biden. And they have to do prison time for what Hunter Biden got a pretrial diversion for. So I have a question. And I am only saying this because I am applying the rules other people play by. So please understand, I'm just going by the rules as as I have come to understand them. Shouldn't The civil rights attorneys like Benjamin Crump, shouldn't the activists like Al Sharpton, shouldn't they be coming out right now? Shouldn't they be holding news conferences right now pointing out that when black people lie about drug use and uh, apply for a a firearm, they go to prison, but when a white guy does it, he, he, he just gets a slap on the wrist? I mean... I'm just I, I'm not wishing for that. I'm just saying, isn't that how it would work normally? Like, wow, double standard city. What's the deal? Where is Benjamin Crump? You know who I'm talking about, right? He he always whenever there's a uh an officer involved shooting of a black person. Uh, the Jesse Smollett thing, he he's always there. He must have the frequent flyer miles. He must be incredible, right? I mean, he's always there. And, and, he, and he stands up and he holds the news conference and he spells it out and he lets him have it with both barrels, pardon the pun. And he calls out the racism. He calls out the double standard. I'm not hearing that. Maybe they haven't put it together yet. Maybe he couldn't get a flight today. Seems like you would point that out. Where are those people? Where's Where's Al Sharpton? And forgive me if I missed it, because maybe he did say something, but I haven't heard it. Of course, it's not that Hunter Biden is white, although he very definitely is, particularly around the nostrils. It's that Hunter Biden is a Biden. And in case you haven't noticed by now, this is the thing about Identity politics and group politics that's so frustrating to watch. Because you don't practice it, and I don't practice it, and you don't believe in it, and I don't believe in it. And as conservatives, we view people as individuals, and we think your rights connect to you and, and are attached to you by by dint of being an individual, not by what group you're in or what hyphenation you have. So we defend the rights of every individual. We're, we're interested in the the individual rights of every person, and we don't assign their rights more or less value based on whether they're straight or gay or white or black or men or women or whatever. But group identity politics, which is the gospel of the Democratic Party right now, does do that. And the problem with group identity politics is when you're the flavor of the month, it's great. Like right now, if you're a trans swimmer, it's great. You're top of the world. But the previous flavors of the month, like women's sports, they're finding out how fast you get dropped with identity politics, how fast the party's over. Man, when you're no longer flavor of the month, it sucks. When it's over, it's really over. When they drop you, it's over. And so maybe that's why Benjamin Crump is not on the news, because apparently this, you know, imbalance, this double standard, this this systemic racism in the justice system, which we heard so much about, apparently that's over. Did you get the email on that? I didn't get the email on that. We'll talk about that, 210-599-5555. Uh, we're asking you today on the JR poll and you can answer when you call in you can answer by voting over at ktsa.com but it's our JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery do you think John Durham who testified before the house today do you think he did his job as you see it um and and are you satisfied that he did he did what he could do man the man stepped up jack that's all i can ask or are you disappointed and did he not Charged Comey because he didn't think he could win that case. And is that the right call? And is not charging Comey significant? I think it is. So still no word on the submersible. I'm not seeing anything. The the guy that runs this company, Harding, has done a lot of interviews and he's on a lot of blogs and stuff. He has talked, uh, I'm just putting this out there, he has talked a lot about how this uh vessel is not under uh regulation because it is not uh it doesn't fall under the existing regulation of seafaring uh vessels mm-hmm. it's so innovative and like unique and it's made with like pvc pipe and it's i even read did you hear this it's it's they steer it with a with a video game controller?
0: I, I, I saw something about that, yeah.
1: So he was, in these interviews, he was saying, that we're not even, you know, we're outside the reach of the regulators. This is not aging well, these comments, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Um, and he said the reason he did it this way was because it would have taken so many years to get a submersible like this tested and approved, and, you know, he wanted to... Get into this business of taking people down to the Titanic. So,
0: and there's also talk, and you know, we hit on this yesterday. I heard the first, or saw the first headlines that there were potentially some red flags about mm-hmm. this particular vessel yeah. several years ago, yeah. and it looks like. And I'm not taking sides on any of this, but it looks like uh, a former developer may have had a point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think. I think people had the right idea in 1912, you know, get get away from the Titanic.
0: <laughs> That's something else. I you know, don't know just if it's karma get, or get, yeah, exactly. Stay,
1: come to the surface, get away. You know, Kate Winslet showed us just saying <laughs> All right, right. so uh, we'll, we'll let you know if we hear anything about that Obviously it's uh, everybody around the world waiting on word uh, on that thing And the search continues uh, 210-599-5555 Big story here in the United States today The John Durham testimony before the House I'm going to play you a couple of clips He got a little salty Things got a little salty with the Democrats in the House Judiciary Committee he Mixed it up a little bit with uh, Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee Cut number two
4: your reputation will be damaged. As everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged, he's damaged goods, there's no good dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time.
1: Sure, my, can we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on, on how he feels about the pre- former president?
3: Gentlemen, witness can respond. Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect, and my family and my Lord, and I'm perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir.
1: Definitely you do not want Durham and Adam Schiff on the same elevator. They uh, had some encounters, and uh, there was this sort of, I don't know exactly what Durham is hinting at here, but it almost sounds like he's got something on Adam Schiff. Listen to cut three.
3: The son of a presidential candidate gets calls all the time. From a foreign government offering dirt on their opponent—is that what you're saying? I don't think this is unique in your experience. Uh, so you uh, you have other instances of the Russian government offering dirt. Mm.
1: I don't think that's unique in your experience, Durham tells Schiff.
3: Anyway, do you think he did his job? Are you
1: are you uh, satisfied with the the work, the report, the aftermath uh, on uh, John Durham? Today's JR poll. Two ten five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. Morrison Robley, I think I'm saying it right, uh, was a social studies teacher at a middle school in Dalton, Massachusetts, and has resigned, according to the New York Post, after facing anti-Semitic harassment by a 12 year old student who allegedly made Nazi jokes and sent him a drawing of Adolf Hitler. Child is now facing a mis... I'm, I'm going to read the article, just verbatim, and you will hear the moment, you'll hear the sentence that stopped me. When I when I read this, and I read this particular sentence, you'll know it when you hear it. Let me just read it verbatim. Jewish middle school teacher in Massachusetts has resigned after facing anti-Semitic harassment by a 12-year-old student who allegedly made Nazi jokes and sent him a drawing of Adolf Hitler. Morrison, Robley, 25 who taught social studies at, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, Nisakis Regional Middle School in Dalton, Massachusetts, told the Berkshire Eagle newspaper that the sixth grader began making the comments after the teacher let the students know he is Jewish in February. When Robley tried to quiet his students one day, the boy began spewing homophobic slurs so the teacher removed him from class. School officials then held a restorative circle in which the student, Robley, and an administrator reflected on the incident. Quote, the student didn't actually say anything during the meeting, Robley said. That probably should have cued me that this was not going to work. A restorative circle? What the F is a restorative circle? You, you're calling, your te- you're spewing obscenities at your teacher. Let's sit down in a circle, said no one when we were kids. I mean, I, I know you think it's different now, but th- there, were, there were troublemakers when we went to school. There was a kid in my, there was a kid in my elementary school who was a, a major, he was having some major issues. We didn't even know about school shootings, but th- this is a guy you would have looked at. He was very troubled, he had a very bad home life, he did all kinds of crazy things in the classroom. There were no restorative circles. The article goes on. In April, things took a turn for the worse after the teacher showed up in class wearing a Yarmulke, a skull cap worn by observant Jews for Passover, prompting this same student to make hateful comments about it. A few days after being sent to detention, I guess is the next step now after restorative circle, Rob Lee said the boy gave him a sketch of Hitler standing over a dead person labeled Jew, surrounded by swastikas and canisters labeled gas. By the way, there's pictures with the story. If this kid is 12, the handwriting looks... I've seen seen three-year-olds with better handwriting, so something's going on here. Um, New York Post says it's viewed the sickening drawing, which also features the word, sorry, Jew in what the student said was an apology letter. Quote, he really wanted to get his point home, Robley told the New York Post about the student who was eventually suspended and removed from the teacher's class. But the harassment continued in the hallways and the boy made jokes about the Holocaust, including gas chambers. He also said the student emailed him insults about his teaching. So, and, and the, You know, the story goes on that the teacher has resigned. He's filed a complaint through his union, unsafe work environment. Um, He said, I'm not bothered by the ignorant comments of a child. I am bothered that without proper intervention, the hate will continue to fester. So basically, the teacher left, okay, and the student is still at the school. And we wonder, we wonder what's going on with schools and school safety. And by the way, I, I'm just curious doesn't it seem like there was a very um, high level of like patience and two, three, four s- strikes? for what was blatantly hateful, and also just not not only hateful, but you're a student. That's your teacher. A restorative circle. Those words jumped off the page at me and smacked me in the forehead. Anyone who thinks that's the answer to this is themselves the problem. That might even be a bigger problem than this kid. I mean, I don't know what's going on with this kid. We could probably get to the bottom of this kid. But what kind of adult thought that the answer was to have a healing circle? Tell me what you think. 210 um, 599 So I read about the process Um, This school district believes in something called accountable consequences or restorative interventions. And um, they've also started a no place for hate club at the middle school. I don't think this kid will be showing up for the meetings. See, I'm trying to understand this story about the Jewish teacher in Massachusetts having to resign or feeling he had to resign in light of the whole sort of, we have zero tolerance for hate, there's no no place for hate, no room for hate. Seems like there was a lot of room for hate. And I'm trying to understand, who are the adults in this story? Where are the adults in this story? I mean, this kid is a walking time bomb. Something's going on with him. Okay? You, you don't need to be an expert to see that. The teacher has quit and the administration thought a restorative healing circle was called for. I'm sorry, are, are we at a Joni Mitchell concert or what? What, what? what happened to like discipline and you're in trouble? And Do you remember like how your bowels would liquefy at, at the threat of a visit to the principal's office? I mean, I remember in elementary school, we had a principal named Mr. Galuso and Mr. Galuso was um, probably an average-sized guy, but, you know, when you're a little kid, everybody looks bigger. And he had a, i do remember, he, ha- he wore a, um, like, a big ruby tie pin, and that's because he wore a tie. <laughs> he wore a tie pin and matching cufflinks. And he radiated not only authority, but I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure he's in, like, you know, he's, like, made... You know what I'm saying it 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 seemed like if you went to the principal's office, they might never find you again it was it was It was a very scary prospect. I don't know what happened. I never got sent, thank god but but the prospect of it was it was it was like the death penalty. You're going to the principal's office. Well, it's been nice knowing you. I don't know if that's the right thing to do now or if you even could do that now. I don't even know if there's anybody in education anymore like Mr. Galuso. I mean, are people like that even in the business, or did they leave a long time ago in disgust? But a restorative circle? That's not an answer. You know, when when adults need to work things out, there's all kinds of things adults can do, because we're all adults. You can make some assumptions. Right? He's 12 years old, and he's drawing Hitler. So, I don't know if that means he's an anti-Semite, or he's just like screaming and yelling for help, but something's going on. 210-599-5555. I was also reading about, um, remember for a while people were asking, where is the manifesto? Where are the writings? Where is the stuff that the killer at the Covenant school shooting in Tennessee Supposedly left behind. Remember back in March, this trans shooter went into the Covenant School, a Presbyterian uh, private school, and killed six people, three adults and three little children, nine-year-old children. And left behind, and we, we learned this within hours of the shooting, left behind a statement or writing or what some people have called a manifesto that some people thought maybe would shed light on why this was done, on how this was done, on the selection of the, of the, the school, on, uh, on, on various things. Might have, might have significance or meaning to the criminal justice system or, or, or maybe just to the public wanting to know what happened. And we were told, we don't, we don't need to know that. You don't need to see that. And we were also told that there were security concerns because the, the manifesto supposedly included information about or details about the security of the school. Well, I, I don't really know if I believe that. That sounds like a smokescreen to me because I don't think there's anything classified going on at the school. I mean, what what exactly do you have at a school? You have locks, you have doors, you have windows, you have cameras, you have alarms. Okay, if you don't want to tell me about any of those, you can omit those, but I, I, I don't think you're going to tell me anything I don't know about. But they were saying, well, we don't want a copycat crime. Okay. So then they said, and I thought this was very interesting, I've never heard of this before. Then the authorities said, well, we're going to turn the letter, or letters, or whatever you want to call these, and the decision about them over to the the parents of the victims, and now the parents of the victims are saying, "We do not want this released." And I read, you have to go into the legal documents and it, you pull it up as like a PDF. It's a court document, so it's a court filing, and it's quite kind of hard to get through. but basically, they're very pain when you get to the heart of it, they're very painful, they're very personal these are. These are parents that have lost a child, and they're saying, please, this is what we're going through. This is what our surviving children are going through. One of them talks about how they have to, the two parents have to sleep in the bed on either side of the of the surviving sister because she is still so tormented by what happened. They're saying, please don't release them. And I don't know if that means they've seen what was written, or if they just are accepting that, hey, it would really be bad. But do you see what we're doing here? We've now given whatever this is its own kind of aura and power. Like, I I, I agree with not naming the shooter, or or at least not repeatedly naming these shooters. And I even agree with the idea that, as journalists, we ought to cover these things with a real eye toward not glorifying or or delivering a payoff when somebody does something like this. But what do you think about leaving it up to the victims' families? Um, And and can you think of a reason, either a, a legitimate reason for Keeping it locked up and keeping it secret? Or do you think no, that needs to be you know we, we need to know what happened. We need we need all the information. We need to be able to judge the law enforcement response, we need to be able to judge the security arrangements at schools. Uh, if if we are interested, as we all say we are, in preventing these things from happening in the future, then it actually does help to know how they happened in the past. What do you think? Um I don't know about this. We we played some of the stuff from Donald Trump's uh, Brett Bear interview yesterday, and I, I, I'm going to play one more that we didn't get to yesterday because he is uh, explaining the boxes at Mar-a-Lago that allegedly he told his valet to move or hide when they were coming in for his stuff. Remember last summer they did the FBI raid and Brett Bear asks him about um, the boxes that were, that, and of course, it, it didn't work. They weren't. He wasn't successful in obscuring or hiding these. They found them anyway. But this is an explanation for why he didn't just turn over what was in the boxes. Cut number six.
3: Because I had boxes. I want to go through the boxes and get all my personal things out. I don't want to hand that over to Nary yet. And I was very busy, as you've sort of seen. Yeah, but according to the indictment, you then tell this aide to move to other locations after telling your lawyers to say you'd fully complied with the subpoena when you hadn't. Before I send boxes over, I have to take all of my things out. These boxes were interspersed with all sorts of things. Uh, Golf shirts, clothing, pants, shoes. There were many things. I would say much, much more. Not that I know of, but not that I know of. But everything was declassified.
1: All right, I'm trying. I I promise you I'm trying. But this is why he has to be the worst client a lawyer could ever have, okay? Might have been a good president. He's a terrible client for a lawyer. So first of all, the boxes included clothing and documents? Who, Who packs that way? You've moved. You're, have you ever done that? Anybody do that? I've moved. I've moved a number of times. I'm not saying I'm great at moving or I'm a great packer, but no, clothes and like financial documents or my will or no, not in the same box. I don't. Obviously, I don't know how to compare. I don't have classified documents or national uh, regist- national archive uh, level documents, but you, you don't. You don't put those things together golf shirts and pants with the documents so on one level i'm like okay nobody does that what what is what, what is going who who do you have working for you i mean who packed the three stooges but then i'm thinking even if that is what happened any lawyer would be like please don't say that because the the crux of the case against you is that you mishandled and were careless with yada, 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 well, putting them in with your golf shirts kind of, like, makes the point. It's a bizarre answer, even if it's not true. And if it is true, well, that just makes it all the more bizarre. And so he says, well, I I didn't want to give stuff to NARA, which is the archives, I think NARA is the archives, until I could get my stuff out of there. Now, the most charitable interpretation of this I can I can give, and you tell me what you think. Maybe you'll think of something I haven't thought of. It, I, I, you have to remember, Trump's not a politician, and the people working for him, especially at the end of his administration, remember, they had all jumped ship months earlier. So probably by the time he's leaving the White House, we're down to a skeleton crew. We're probably not dealing with the all-star team, Right. I mean, if you remember his cabinet at the end, it was acting deputy this, and, you know, <laughs> he had, like, no cabinet. Um, maybe they just had no expertise. Like, probably every other president leaving the White House was working with people that are like, yeah, yeah, we did this before. We did this for Carter. We did this for Reagan. We did, you know, yeah, we, okay, we got a, we got a system. Um, here's how to box it up. Here's how to label. Here's Here's what to put with what. Here's how to keep the personal stuff that's clearly personal, like clothes, uh, separate from the stuff that may be sought after or archived later on. I mean, e- even if the documents were just innocuous, you wouldn't want like somebody that's come over to write a book about you to have to go through your underwear to get some memos or letters. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. So the only thing I can think of is this is another sign of how non-traditional and unorthodox, you know, he was, that he didn't have people around him, he didn't know, and he didn't have people around him that knew. But it also is, it provides a kind of hint, and some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you look at what happened to Trump with the deep state, he he took a swing and they hit him back. And I think you would agree, if we were scoring this fight, their their punch landed. His didn't. Their Punch did. If this is where we're at with this man, that he is doing this interview with Brett Baer, which probably in itself is not a good idea, and this is his answer, well, I had to move the boxes because I hadn't gotten my clothes out of the boxes yet in 2022. I, I don't think this is a guy that will have a plan for day one Going up against the DOJ, going up against the FBI, going up against the deep state, the stuff that we talked about yesterday on the show, the idea that you, you, whoever you elect, whoever is your person in 2024, they've got to hit the ground running. They've got to have a plan. They've got to have an army of people who are loyal and committed to taking on the entrenched government within a government. I, I don't hear that from this man anymore. Doesn't, doesn't sound like he's got it. Um, I'm not hearing a level of coordination. And I realize you could blame other people for this. People will say, well, Jack, he didn't pack the boxes. Absolutely right. He didn't. But he chose whoever did. Or he chose whoever chose whoever did. And see, this is a problem for me. Doesn't look, this doesn't look smooth. This doesn't look expertise. This doesn't look, this isn't impressive to me. And honestly, if I didn't agree with him on a lot of things, I'd be mocking the hell out of him because it's ridiculous. I'm just being honest. So the box thing isn't just a, a, a kind of weird answer in an interview that was probably ill-advised. It may also be a little window into what you'd be getting if he gets back in there. I'll tell you what, packing the boxes is going to be the least of it you're going to have to have a play, because l- l- let's assume that, that somehow a Republican, Donald Trump, somebody else, wins the 2024 election. That person will have won in spite of what will be Herculean efforts to keep them out of office. I mean, you, you can't even wrap your head around what's gonna be going on with the voting, the vote counting, the sh- shenanigans with ballot harvesting, who knows if we'll have a health emergency declared next year, I wouldn't be surprised. So to win, you will have to overcome even more resistance than he faced in 2020 or 2016 because they're getting better at this and they're getting more desperate about it, right? Okay, now you get in. Somehow you overcome that and you you get in. Now you are going to face even more hostility and undermining than Trump himself did when When he came into office in January of 2017. So you you can't be just as good as he was and his team was. You actually have to be much, much better than, than he was. That's what I'm saying, I guess, the shortest version of it is, if you liked Trump and you want that approach, that approach has to be way better, sharper, smarter, harder, craftier, or it will have no chance, none. They they know we're coming. They didn't know we were coming in 2016. We have the element of surprise. We'll never have that again. What do you think? Do you think John Durham did his job, and right now we're talking about uh, the Trump interview with Brett Baer on Fox News, in which he says that he uh, wasn't ready to turn over boxes because he hadn't gotten his golf clothes out of the boxes along with the classified or other documents that were in those boxes 210 599 paul is on ktsa hi paul
5: yes sir yes sir say you and i talked um oh a couple of weeks ago when Sununu said that you know he could win the primary but he was the same old trump and he he wouldn't win the general election and this is just more and more of the same thing where he has all these damn excuses for everything that happens and um my, my comment on, on the whole thing is that I loved your comment a moment ago that if you didn't agree with him so much on other things, you'd be mocking him. And, I mean, that's the comment of the year because that's how I feel and I think everybody feels. Um, I, I would love for him to be president again.
1: I, yeah, I, I, I'm being honest because I, I don't think many people in the media will say this, but um, I am trying like hell. To to cut him some slack because I I do appreciate what he did and I do I do get that he's not from this world you know that this this world of politics and and so forth he he is like he, he's complete he, he, you know it's like it's like inviting a caveman to a cocktail party I mean he doesn't he doesn't get any of it but right. you have to bring people along who do you have to.
5: Exactly, and what what I, um, I saw just part of that interview with Prep Bear, and what what lost me again was when he started the twenty. They uh, Bear asked him what he was going to do to win over the people, you know, for twenty twenty, and he said, "I won 2020. Mm-hmm. and then he went yep. into three minutes. But then I love Bear's comment: "Is that what you're going to tell the people, you know, oh. to to
4: yeah. uh,
5: to get it?" So I mean, he's lost. Let me ask you a question: What about Rubio? What about him? What do you think for him? he? I think he could. Oh, be do you, are you saying should he? You
1: saying should he run for president?
5: Yeah, should he run for
1: president? Yeah. We well, he did. I mean, it didn't. Yeah. no. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of. I think there's already a lot of people running. Um, I, and I don't think Rubio. I, I I always liked Marco Rubio, but I don't think he did too well. He didn't come off too well. When he did run for president, least, that's just my opinion. I mean, I and I say that as somebody that liked him and thought he would be sharper, but he 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 just didn't. It didn't. It seemed too big for him, you know.
5: Well, that's because Trump was battering the hell. Out of him, but, <laughs> that's uh, true. That's true. Think... They did
1: send Chris Christie in to get him, but uh, I don't know, Paul. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's people. I think there's a lot of good people running, and I think Trump's one of them. But I I, I just I I look at this and I go, you're not gonna you're going to need more votes you're going to need the votes of people you didn't have before i see that you've kept the the support of the people you had but that isn't going to be enough and so i don't see how this works out i just i just don't i appreciate your call though thank you i and and again on the on the boxes thing or the comment about how you appeal to independent voters and conquer new terrain and this is not de- we can debate a lot of things and you can tell me you disagree with me about trump and i would love that but it's not debatable that to win you'll need all the v- the voters you had and then some you'll need all the states you had and probably a couple more you, there's this is not working out on paper you know it just isn't and the when I hear him talk about the 2020 election, I, on one level, I, I think he's on to something, and I appreciate the concept that we can't let people steal elections. However, if it was stolen, it was stolen. I mean, the, the theft has occurred. The horse has left the barn. It can't be restored, it can't be put back, it can't be redone, it can't be awarded to the second place finisher. This isn't a beauty pageant. we're going to make the runner up the new queen we can that, that it doesn't work that way so if if that's truly what you believe and you're not just saying it and it's not just bitterness it's not if that's truly what you believe, then I want to see evidence that you are focused like a laser beam on how elections are conducted, which is in the states, and you are focused on state capitals, state legislatures, secretaries of state, you are looking at the laws that govern elections in the states, and you're saying, are we are we gonna ever comply with these again, or are we gonna have a permanent emergency that allows people to vote in drive up voting and twenty four hour voting and three weeks of early voting and all this other foolishness that that invites and encourages you know fraud and theft in other words if you if you claim to care about that i know what you need to do and you know what you need to do i don't see you doing it so i'm going to put my money in a bank that cannot be robbed now i'm not going to put my money in a bank whose bank president keeps talking about robberies from four years ago or eight years ago. Because I'm worried about it now. And that's what we have to do here. That's uh, Our job as voters is to figure this out. If they won't, we have to. You're gonna have to get rid of your dog, it turns out. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, Pets are as bad as jets, says climate activist. <laughs> I can, you gotta admit, that's the best rhyme you've heard this week. Pets are as bad as jets, says climate activist Patrick Hansen. He says that um, three dogs can produce the same carbon footprint as one person. A Labrador retriever, why do they pick on the lab? Honest to God, is there a sweeter dog on earth than labs? I mean, I've had had a couple of them. They're just right. Labs are better than most people I know. Labrador Retriever has an annual carbon footprint of around 770 kilograms. The bigger the dog, the bigger the carbon footprint. That's what I always say. Great Danes can have a 2,500 kilogram carbon footprint annually. So um, it's not Bill Gates' private jet, it's not John Kerry's Davos motorcade. It's your dog. So when I tell you that you are not going to be allowed to have nice things, when I tell you you're not going to be able to, your your life as you know it has to be over. Everything you like, everything, we we, we talked a while back, we had a a, a column and we talked about on the show the war on what works. You know, stoves, air conditioning, cars, Um, And this is a religion, right? So when it demonizes something, it's all or nothing. The dogs have to go. Your dog is a carbon terrorist. You are harboring an environmental fugitive. So what will this look like? If the dogs are the problem, I'm so old I remember when cows were the problem. Remember cows were the problem? Yeah. If the dogs are the problem with the climate crisis, uh will the newscasts and the news people and the TV people stop telling us to bring our dogs in on hot days? Will they just say mm, they're fine out there. Don't provide any water. Will the ASPCA disband? You know, will we stop seeing the commercials? with the, you know, for 19 cents a day or whatever it is, you know, look at these puppies. You could stop this. Now they'd be like, we're letting them go. These dirty, air-polluting, climate-changing, world-ending, Greta-disappointing dogs Don Cooper, were you in on the excitement this morning? They had the stray dogs at the radio station. Did you hear about that, or were you part of that at all? I heard about it late in the afternoon, yes. Yeah, Don Morgan, uh, Don Morgan uh, said that when he got to work this morning, he saw a guy dump a couple of dogs um, right in the parking lot. And um, <laughs> which, you know, Eisenhower Road, Austin Highway, there's nothing you won't see if you're there long enough, so... So he, he brought them in. And they sheltered them. And uh wherein Rima kept them going, you know? And then appa- apparently at some point somebody came and rescued them or adopted mm. them. So Well whom- I'm sorry that happened now that we know what we know about the planet. Yeah. You know, we had an opportunity there to take a couple of dogs off the board, we didn't do it. So Well you know, these people
3: whoever and whomever they are, which is mm-hmm. again, it's just a- sad that they did, but maybe they were ahead of the time. Maybe they knew that they were saving the environment. They were just trying to save the planet.
1: That's all. And Don Morgan screwed it up. Thanks, Don. So when we're drowning in the water from the polar ice caps, we can thank them. But no, I I mean, I, I love this kind of stuff because we need to get the crazy out there. We need as much of this as widely disseminated as possible. And I and I say this about everything. I say this about the 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 extremes on guns, the extremes on on speech and thought crimes and censorship and you know all all of it, climate, all of it. Get the crazy out there. Let people hear and see what they are flirting with. If they vote for these people, if they give them any more power than they already have, they are not trying to save the planet. They are not trying to save you. They don't really care about you. They don't think about you. It's all about power. And making you give stuff up signals to you, and it isn't even about the dogs. I mean, maybe some of these people just don't like dogs, but and never trust anybody that doesn't like dogs, right? You with me on that, right? But what really what it's about is, if we can get people to believe that their future involves eating crickets instead of meat and that we need solar panel farms, not farm farms. And if owning a car, owning a house, using electricity, (laughs) owning a dog, if we can get people to believe that all the things they would choose to do are inadvertently the the, the wrong things. Do. They're disastrous. Oh my god! Every decision, every choice you're making is the worst thing you could do for the planet. Then people are going to be like, "Well, huh, man, I don't. I, I I guess you. I'll just do whatever you tell me. I can do. I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't want the world to end. So just t- tell me what's allowed. You know. All right, fine. I'll 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 ride the electric bus to my. Solar powered uh, job. I, oh, okay. You know, I mean, fine. I don't. I don't need to own a house. I'll. I'll live in the in the government dormitories. You know, I'll. Uh, and I'll just. Uh, you know, think cool thoughts when I come home from work. I don't need air conditioning. I didn't know. I didn't know I was killing the planet. I'm sorry. I think it's just power. I don't. I don't think they have it. I don't think they have it. Really, uh, a more complicated plan than that. They'll be in charge. They'll make dying. the decisions. Yeah. And um, see, there's a lot of people, maybe not as extreme as Greta, God bless her, but there's a lot of people, and you know what I mean, right? Like they're at the store, they're, they're going down the aisle, they got a little shopping list, they reach to the shelf, and they suddenly have a choice of two products. One of them is in normal packaging, blue and yellow and red or whatever, and the other package is all brown and pea green, and it says organic, and it says earth friendly, and it says renewable, and it's a couple of bucks more. Are you the kind of person that buys the red, yellow, and blue product and says, hell with that, dish dish soap is dish soap. I'm not buying that other one. Or are you the kind of person that says, I probably ought to to buy the green one. I want to be part of the solution. See, that's the people they're counting on. Give up your dog. Your dog How is the dare problem. You? Yes, exactly. I am going to play the Greta speech for my dog tonight. So she knows the score. It's not personal. It's not you. It's the planet. For hope. Exactly. Oh here she is now. She just came out. Did you know we were talking about you? Yeah. Sorry. Got some bad news. There's gonna be some big changes around here, and I don't mean generic dog food. Just saying. Okay. Climate activists are they're they're great. I mean, um, we just have to keep letting everybody know what they're saying. We need to spread the word far and wide. I mean, this is this is one time when you want to you want to amplify the messaging of your opposition because th- they will not win this one. Dogs are the problem. Owning a dog is the problem. Okay, can't have a car. Can't have a C. Can't have a fridge. Can't have a stove. Can't have a house. Can't have a dog? Can't have children. We already ca- crossed that Rubicon quite some time ago. It's very selfish to have children. So, um I, I guess I don't mean to make a joke of it, but I, I guess the they're gonna get to a point where all they'll have left is to just tell us to all kill ourselves, right? Like to see how they wrap that message up in a <laughs> in a Hollywood script. But anyway, yeah, this guy is saying that uh, dogs produce the same amount. Uh, three dogs, three large dogs have the same carbon footprint as a private jet. Mm. Tell you what, I, I'll i never own a private jet. I'll just have the three dogs. How's that? I'm wondering why this story didn't get more coverage. This seems interesting to me. Um, I think it might be to you if you have not heard it before. Edward Wackerman... Of of Mariposa, California, has been arrested on suspicion of aggravated arson. Arson that causes bodily injury and arson causing damage or destruction of inhabited structures, according to the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Wackerman is suspected of starting the Oak Fire in Mariposa County in the Sierra Nevada in July of 2022. The fire injured multiple firefighters, burned 20,000 acres, 30 square miles destroyed 127 homes and dozens of other buildings. Edward Wackerman is a Democratic Party donor. He's donated uh, some $1,700 to Democratic candidates and committees in the last two years, government records show, including a $1,000 donation to Tim Ryan's Senate campaign last year and $500 to the Lincoln Project, which are the never-Trumper Republicans. Why did he do it? Why did he set this fire? He's not a kid, by the way. He's a big grown-up guy. Um, People are wondering if he set the fire because the narrative these days is that wildfires are caused by climate change. You know, every time there's a fire somewhere, in fact, this fire in California, when it was burning, the Oak Fire, uh, U.S. Senator Alex Padilla tweeted, worsening drought and severe weather will only continue to put lives and property at risk from wildfire if we don't take climate action now. He tweeted that out while the fire was still burning. That's like tweeting about the need for gun control while the school shooting is still going on. Which they do. I don't know if this Wackerman guy, what a name, was actually trying to help the Democrats prove climate change by setting fires. He might have been, or he might have been one of these weirdos that just gets off on setting fires. But it is interesting that he would be the supporter of politicians that are supportive of the idea that wildfires are basically our fault. That our greed, our selfishness about our modern way of life is the reason we have wildfires. And I guess you got to gin up as much hysteria as you can. When it comes to the environment, you know, you've got people that will care anyway or people that will, you know, really get into it. But to get the masses involved and 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 swung over to your side, it's tricky. You've gotta you gotta scare them, but when you're trying to scare them, you've gotta be careful not to say stuff that's so crazy that people will go, wait a minute, well, that doesn't sound right. I think the dog thing falls into that category. So. There was a um a story about a school district in Utah that had removed Bibles from school libraries and then decided last night to restore Bibles to the school library. So they're not they're not teaching the Bible in school, but the Bible is in the in the library. If somebody wants to access it, look something up. Uh they decided it was okay to have the Bible. I, I ran a call today about this. My dad when he came back from World War II, he served in the Navy. Uh, he was a tail gunner, radio man on a torpedo bomber uh, in the Pacific, last two years of the war. When he came back from the Navy, like all of the veterans, he had a footlocker with stuff in it. He had his, you know, patches and medals and souvenirs and things from the ship and photos. and He had a... Um, a tiny New Testament. There's a picture of it with the column. You can read it at KTSA.com. It's a tiny little pocket-sized, it's like the size of a pack of cigarettes. It's that small. It's the New Testament. And it was issued by the military, by the United States military. And when you open it, there's a letter from President Roosevelt and I, re- I reproduced the letter you can read that at ktsa.com and and it's it says i commend the reading of the bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the country may it you know may it bring you inspiration and strength and be good for your soul and then when you open this bible it's not just the new testament it's also it's got mark markings on it so that it like budgets the reading like It shows you read this much each day, and there's dates. So it's encouraging daily doses of the Bible. Nowadays, there are private groups like the Gideons and the American Bible Society that try to donate Bibles to our troops and are usually fought, and sometimes successfully and sometimes not, by uh, lawsuits from secular groups and so forth, freedom from religion, you know that whole thing. But the reason I, I, I ran this picture and wrote this this piece was because I was imagining if today the President of the United States was recommending to every soldier, every sailor, every airman, read this Bible, draw strength and wisdom. From the Bible, do you think we're better off now that we don't do that? We would never do that. My goodness, don't you know what it says in the First Amendment? Apparently, they didn't know about the First Amendment in nineteen forty one Pretty sure it had already been ratified. So are we better people now, or are we like more enlightened like oh boy we wouldn't we wouldn't pull that stunt. Or were we better then? You know, that generation, we call them the greatest generation. I don't know how many of them read their New Testament. Maybe not Maybe not all of them. Probably not all of them. Maybe not even most of them. I don't know. But they did some amazing things, didn't they? They did some things that when we hear about them today, when we re- re- recount the, the, uh, the service of those that stormed the beaches at Normandy, which we were just talking about a couple of weeks ago or if we think about the intrepid service that people rendered in both theaters of the war these were the greatest generation and they were walking around with a new testament in their pocket and somehow whether they read it or not it certainly didn't hurt them it certainly didn't discourage or, or confuse them It didn't turn them against their country they didn't feel oppressed by their bible they didn't feel like oh I don't want to fight for a country that would that would endorse reading the Bible. Are we better off today for secularizing everything? Are we better off today for, for eliminating that? Do you think that New Testament that they gave to my dad and all those other men caused more grief or gave more comfort? And you can read it at KTSA.com, and I'd love to know what you think. Coming up this half hour, the results on our JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. And uh, now it is time to take a little sentimental journey. It is June the 21st, 1981. And we're going to look at the top 10 hits on the charts this day. In the year 1981 and moving very fast up the charts. In fact, jumping from number 20 to number 10 this week was Mr. Rick Springfield with this song right here. Rick Springfield is dropping a new album this week. Uh, It's called Automatic. And he is uh, touring with Paul Young and Tommy Two-Tones. He's having a very busy summer. Closest they get to us is Fort Worth on August 20th, if you want to see Rick Springfield. That was Jesse's Girl at number 10. At number 9, the 80s mega duo, Hall & Oates. Also climbing fast up the charts with You Make My Dreams Come True. John Oates says that he and Daryl were listening to a lot of Delta Blues at this time, and they were touring here in Texas and listening to Delta Blues music, and they were just in a mood, and there was a vibe, and the melody kind of popped into his head, and um, the result was this song. Holding a number eight for a second week in a row, this day in 1981, was Neil Diamond with one of his signature songs, America.
4: Never looking
5: back again They're
1: coming to America Oh Coming soon so far away We're traveling like today the Song at number seven this week in 1981 was from a band that will be at the Tobin Center on July 23rd. It's Air Supply and the one that you love. Smoky Robinson was at number six on the charts this week in nineteen eighty one with a song he just sang on the Today Show last month. Here's Smokey Robinson being with you. I don't give 83-year-old Smokey Robinson. All right, at number five, it was George Harrison. All those years ago. All those years ago in 1981. You will never hear this song the same way again when I tell you that George Harrison had just laid down those vocals. He had just finished singing that song in the studio when he was informed for the first time that John Lennon had been murdered. So he literally took the headphones off, stepped away from the microphone, and was told that Lennon had died all those years ago. Uh, Number five in 1981. The number four song in the country <clears throat> this week in 1981 belonged to Ray Parker Jr. So when you think you're
5: fooling her, she just might be fooling you. Remember, if you can do it, she can not do Because a woman needs a love, just like
4: you do. Hey.
1: So a woman needs love. If you're a uh, Ray Parker Jr. fan... There's a new documentary out about him. Uh, it's called Who You Gonna Call, right, obviously. And it's about his life growing up in Detroit and overcoming the odds and his aspirations to be a Motown artist. And he did in fact get to tour and play with uh, Stevie Wonder. He did a lot of stuff, a lot of different things in the music business. We we tend to know his his songs, but he played with and toured with a lot of other people. He was with the Rolling Stones on one of their tours. And anyway, it's supposed to be a very good documentary. Called Who You Gonna Call Ray Parker Jr. The number three song in the country this week in 1981 was a remake of a 1963 hit that had gone all the way to number one. This is the disco group A Taste of Honey and Sukiyaki. You you me. If I had a nickel, every time I played that song, I'd have a lot of nickels, and there's nothing to do with nickels, so I guess I'm glad I don't. All right, at number two this week in 1981, this week in the year 1981, the number two song in the country... Uh, coming off of its peak at number one was the biggest hit ever for a singer named Kim Carnes, Betty Davis' Eyes. I love this song. I didn't know until many years later that Betty Davis Eyes was actually written for Jackie DeShannon. Do you remember Jackie DeShannon? Put a little love in your heart. Yeah, she got this song like years before mid seventies. She recorded it, but she sang it as a very up tempo, uh, kind of brassy, uh, arrangement and, um, kind of bluesy and rocky. And anyway, um, when it was brought to Kim Carnes the producer for Kim's album said th- this is not the right treatment of this song and so they reworked it and made it and 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 when you hear it now there's there's no other way to imagine it as this very you know sultry seductive kind of um you know be careful of this woman right and by the way Betty Davis was still alive when this song hit the charts and she reportedly wrote Thank you notes to Kim Carnes and other artists that were involved in the production of this album. Thanking them, she said, for, quote, making me a part of modern times. Betty Davis Eyes, number two this week. The number one song in the country this week in 1981 was the kind of song that doesn't really make the charts anymore. It wasn't even a song. It was a medley of songs from different artists sort of paying tribute to an era gone by And all of it done by a Dutch novelty act that in this country called itself Stars on 45. Listen to this at number one. So you get um, Venus by the Shocking Blue. You get Sugar Sugar by the Archies. You've got the Guess Who, the Beatles. All kinds of things going on here. It was the number one song in the country, Medley, by Stars on 45, which had other names. The band had other names based on other countries in which they were performed or the record was played. Number one on this date in 1981. All right, the JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. We run the poll all through the show, even when we're talking about other things. This question is always available for voting, not only when you call in, but also at KTSA dot com and on the five fifty KTSA Facebook page. It's powered by River City Oral Surgery. Do you think John Durham did his job? Fifty five percent tonight said no. Forty five percent said yes. More we'll of a New JR poll tomorrow we get started live at 4. Don't forget, if you're not able to listen or you've missed some of the show or you've missed all of the show, oh, what a show you missed. Anyway, you can listen to the podcast version of this show on demand anywhere, anytime, uh, any of the places you like to get your other podcasts or look for The Jack Riccardi Show at KTSA.com on the on-demand menu. We're going to leave you tonight with the number one song from this week In 1981, it stars on 45.